Sin and forgiveness is a massive subject. It's one which is at the heart of the gospel. It's at the heart of God's instruction and his words to us. And nowhere does that come through as clearly as in these words we've read in Romans chapter 6. Because in that last verse, if you take nothing else from the rest of that wonderful chapter, the whole of human existence can be encapsulated in that single verse at the end of Romans 6. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So think of it like this. We, being humans, understand the concept of earning a wage, understand the concept of getting paid for the things that we have done. And what Paul is saying here in Romans is that the wages of our life, if we do nothing else, is death because mankind is inherently sinful. But, and there is a fantastically important word, but, that's not it. That's not what God is trying to say. That is just stating where mankind is. But, the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. And so there is something beyond what we can normally earn or expect to receive. Mankind expects to receive death as a result of sin. But there is hope for those who are in Christ that there might be eternal life instead. And in that we see the wonderful grace and mercy and love of our Heavenly Father coming through. In that he has chosen under certain circumstances to forgive sin. Because of the work of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have a set of principles here in this chapter that talk about The natural state of mankind, being sinless, being outside God, apart from God. And Paul here is telling the Romans that they need to change their way of life. That instead of being focused on sin, and thereby the death that results from that, through baptism there is an opportunity to become part of God's plan for the world. And receive The hope of eternal life through Christ Jesus. And so we see that throughout that chapter there is plenty of discussion points for thinking about the ideas of sin and forgiveness. But if we're going to talk about sin, we need to go back to the very beginning to understand where sin came from. So come with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 2. Now this might be, for some restating those things that are familiar but you cannot cover the subject of sin without understanding why sin is there why is it that we earn sin and death why is it that that's there as part of our character when we are born 
And the answer comes in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis, we know, is the book of creation. It talks about how God creating the world and everything in it. Uh, And he created man in, in his image. And then he created woman. And he said that there were some rules that man had to um, abide by. So Genesis 2 and verse 16, or verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. And we know that that situation did not last. We know that the serpent in Genesis chapter 3 tempted the woman and the woman and the man both took of that fruit that they were told of God that they should not do it and they realised that they had done that which was wrong in God's sight. And God said that there would be consequences and there were consequences. Come to chapter 3 and verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate of the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until... You return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. (laughs) And so we have there God's, the consequences of man's disobedience to God. The consequences there for the serpent, for, for Eve, and for Adam were significant. But we're interested tonight to look at the consequence on Adam, where God has said, because you disobeyed me because you sinned you will return to the ground for that's where you came from and so sin led to death just as God had said would happen by those by breaking that command of his in the garden of Eden and so that's where sin enters in to our story to our understanding of God's involvement. It's because man disobeyed God. And throughout scripture, that whole concept of disobedience to God is characteristic of sin. And the whole concept here is that death is a result of sin. And so from that point, mankind would perish. There would be death in the garden, in the life of mankind. But I think rather than dwell on that, that part of it, I think we need to look at the other part. So we've seen Romans 6, the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life. We've seen there that where sin comes into it. But God's plan is not that that continues forever. 
We saw that in Romans 6. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. So come with me right to the very end of the Bible. Revelation chapter 21. And what does God say about this new kind of world that, that is to be created in the future? We're not going to go into depths this afternoon because that's a whole different subject in itself. But the characteristics of that time to come are very important. Because, given our subject of sin and forgiveness, this new world that God is going to create in um, Revelation 21, and verse 1, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And so God's plan is that death will be taken away, removed from the earth. And that's what has been promised right from the beginning, from Genesis 3, that God's plan for mankind is that there will be this opportunity in times to come, when God sets his kingdom up on this earth, that there will be no more death. So, what does that mean for us? Come with me a few pages back to the book of James. Because now we need to look at some of the practical aspects of sin in our lives. Because we can see that wickedness is, is prevalent and there's you know, lots of that in the world. And we could point to you know, even today's um, news about another mass murder in Texas as to the wickedness and sinfulness that there is in the world. But how good are we at pointing it, the finger back at ourselves and understanding that we all have an individual responsibility to our own sinfulness. James chapter 1. Verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And that seems remarkably consistent with everything that we've seen so far. That was the situation in the Garden of Eden. It says that Eve saw, looked and saw the fruit that it was good to eat, and she desired it. And it's the desire that then turned into an action, which was the sin. When you act and disobey in disobedience of God's command, there is sin. And so what James is here is saying is, we're all in that boat. We've all got these opportunities where we can be enticed, where there can be difficulties in our lives that tempt us away from doing what we know to be right. And it leads us into sin. And because we are sinful, because we follow after that Adam, the way of Adam, we know that our end result is going to be death. And Paul says very similar things. Come with me to Romans chapter 7. 
this struggle that mankind has continually. Even those good and worthy men and women of scriptures had to struggle with temptation and desire in their lives. Romans 7 verse 18. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have a desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Verse 21, I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we have here this constant struggle, this warfare that Paul refers to, that we constantly go through. We know from God's word what we should be doing. And yet, putting it into practice in our lives is very difficult in all circumstances. And we have this continual struggle. The things that we desire, the things that we want to please ourselves come first. Whereas we should be putting God first and not ourselves. And the Bible makes it clear that it is an individual responsibility that we have towards sin. I can't be tried for your sin or your sin or your sin. It's my own sin that I am that God looks to. Come with me to Deuteronomy chapter 24. Just one verse, but it's quite an important one because it sets out the responsibility. Fathers shall not be put to death, verse 16, for their children, nor children put to death for their fathers. Each is to die for his own sin. And this is repeated in the prophets. Ezekiel picks this up and says, the soul that sins, that's the one that's going to die. Not the father for the son or the son for the father, but the soul that sins, it shall die. And so we have individual responsibility, which makes it absolutely clear that we need to work out our salvation, my salvation, with fear and trembling. And an important concept as we're in the law, if you come a few pages before to Numbers and chapter 5, is the concept of confession. Because we cannot keep sin bottled up. We cannot keep our temptations and desires bottled up. When we do wrong, God requires us to do something about it. And in the law, he says to the people that they should confess their sins. So Numbers 5 and verse 6. Say to the Israelites, when a man or a woman wrongs another in any way, and so is unfaithful to the Lord... That person is guilty and must confess the sin he has committed. He must take full restitution for his wrong and so on. 
So the concept of confession of sins, of recognising in ourselves where we go astray, where we go wrong in God's sight, is very important. Now, this all seems like quite a negative view. And I've done I've structured it that way particularly because what we should be realising from this is that there's nothing that we can do that can change any of that. We're born with a, a nature that leads us towards sin and we have to fight continually against that to be able to overcome. But God, God through his infinite grace and mercy and love has demonstrated that there is forgiveness for sin. That there is a way to help, to understand. And it was centred through the life of his son. If we want to understand God, we need to read his word. We need to understand who the God of the scriptures is and what he is telling us. Come with me to Exodus 34, please. This is a, a fundamental verse in scripture that identifies the qualities of God. Remember, this is the point where Moses asks to, for God to reveal his glory to him. For God to basically show the qualities of him to Moses. And what is it that comes through as the qualities of God? Verse 6 of Exodus 34. Or verse 5, the connection. The Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving rebe wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Such is the qualities of our Heavenly Father. And notice that the most important ones, the priority is given to compassion, to grace, to love, to patience, to faithfulness and forgiveness. And these are the qualities of our Heavenly Father that we can see throughout his interaction with mankind. Remember, mankind is the one who has done wrong. Mankind is the one who has disobeyed God and brought sin into play. But God has always left a doorway for man to be reconciled to him through the work of Jesus. Let's have a look at some of the Psalms to see how wonderful the work of God is in forgiving. Psalm 130, please. We have a beautiful hymn setting of this. And it reminds us quite clearly of the need for God in our lives. Remember, we can do nothing about this ourselves. If it isn't for the, the grace of God, we would be stuck in that rut forever. But as we read earlier, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So one, Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, O Lord, 
kept a record of sins. O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Therefore you are feared. God can provide forgiveness. He does provide forgiveness. We cannot stand through the weight of our sinfulness without God showing his grace and compassion and forgiving our sins. Psalm 32. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. Verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you, and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. See how important confession is to God. Of recognising our sinfulness. And bringing it to him. So that he can act and remove that sin from us. <coughs> Psalm 103. How far does God remove our sin? Does he just place it in a separate area to be brought back and used against us in a future point if we don't keep on doing the right things? No, that's not our God. That's not the God I worship. The God I worship removes sin from us in the way as prescribed in Psalm 103. Look at verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbour his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, or repay us according to our iniquities. That's our Heavenly Father. Though we are sinful, though we do things that are continually wrong in his sight, he does not treat us as our sins deserve. 4, verse 11, as high as the heavens are above the earth. So great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. God has removed our transgressions. If we turn to him, if we confess our sinfulness, then he will treat us. In this way. Micah chapter 7. Sums this up very neatly. And verse 18. Right at the end of the prophecy. Who is a God like you, who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Who is a God like the God that we have? There is no one who can remove sin from us. And all of this is possible 
Not through anything that we have done. Not through any effort of our own can we remove sin from ourselves. It is through God's grace and mercy. And how does God show his grace and mercy to us? Through the work of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we have a look at Isaiah 53, please? Because here we see in the Old Testament quite clearly the work that was outlined for the Lord Jesus Christ. That he was to be the one to take away the sin of the world. Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, and each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's how much God loves us. He gave his one and only son into the world to save people from their sins. To be the, the means by which our sins can be removed from us as far as east is from west. Let's have a look at some of the, the gospel records of the Lord Jesus Christ to, to show just what the Lord was here to do. Matthew chapter 1, right at the start of his, his life. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21. The angel appears to Joseph in a dream and says, Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. That was the purpose of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether they recognised it or not, whether they understood it or not, his purpose was to save people from their sins. Chapter 3 and verse 6. So verse 4, chapter 3 and verse 4. John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins, they were baptised by him in the river Jordan. So people were understanding the concept, the work through John the Baptist, of the idea of confessing their sins, recognising sin and understanding that it would be required of them to, un to, to acknowledge their sinfulness. John chapter 1. John the Baptist's words as he saw Jesus. The fulfilment of prophecy that John recognised. Verse 29. 
The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Again, reinforcing that purpose of God through Jesus. And lastly, chapter 3 and verse 16. Very familiar words to us all. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That was God's purpose, to save the world from the impact of sin and death through the life, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Come back to Romans, please, where we started off. Romans chapter 5 this time. Because Paul's words that we read so readily in the beginning of our address in chapter 6 are a continuation of a, a theme that Paul is developing throughout the book. Getting them to understand the work of Jesus and how important that was. And that, that being baptised into the Lord Jesus Christ was required to be part of Christ. And therefore that meant that you had to act differently or you needed to act differently. But God has shown us through the words we've read this afternoon that through Christ all can come to a knowledge of God and have the natural state of mankind that sin be removed. Verse 12 of chapter 5. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin. We saw that in Genesis 3. And in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. That's what we see today. There is this cycle of disobedience and sin and death. Verse 15, the gift is not like the trespass, for if many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Verse 17, if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So it is through Christ, as we have seen, that we're able to say those wonderful words we read at the end of chapter 6. Having understood the importance of baptism, the need to be associated with God, to have that prospect of walking in the footsteps of our master through the waters of baptism. That we can then say the wages of sin is death. And we've seen that quite clearly. But the gift of God 
the free gift to all who would take up the cross of Christ and follow him. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And therefore, we need to respond to that. And what response is there that we can make? Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins.